recently had the opportunity to spend 11 days in Cape Town in South Africa at the third Lausanne Congress for World Evangelization. And I want to thank you in the congregation here today for, for allowing me to do that. Um, I, I want to thank the, the elders here, the leadership of the church who allowed me to, to go and to be there, uh, who helped cover the, the cost of my attendance. Uh, I want to thank Edna and David and Steve who uh, did so well looking after things while I was away and just others who uh, covered for things in my absence. I want to thank all of you who prayed um, for, for me during that time away. Uh, I was very conscious of God um, being with me and carrying me through that experience. Uh, and I want, lastly, to, to thank all those who looked out for Claire and the kids while I was gone. Um, that was a, a long period of time to take a, a father out of a, a young family, so thank you f uh, for all who helped there. I hadn't initially intended to give a report on my time in Cape Town, um, but since I've come back and had conversations with people, I've realized a lot of people have been asking questions about it and I've give, been giving many half-baked answers. So I've res reshuffled my uh, preaching schedule a wee bit uh, to, to free up a, a week, uh, a morning, where I could take a few minutes to, to share this with you. So that's what I, I want to do uh, instead of a normal sermon or, or teaching moment, to take a moment to do that this morning. I'm going to assume that many of you knew as, know as little about the Lausanne movement as I did uh, until quite recently. Um, the story of Lausanne begins, I think, with Billy Graham, the American evangelist. Um, as he began to preach and teach, not just in America, but throughout the world, he had this vision growing in him to unite all evangelicals throughout the world in the task of sharing the gospel with the world. So in 1966, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association uh, partnered with Christianity Today, the large American Christian magazine, and they sponsored the World Congress in Evangelism. Uh, 1966, that took place in Berlin. About 1,200 delegates from 100 countries uh, gathered there. Then in 1974, about 2,700 delegates and guests from about 150 nations gathered in the Swiss city of Lausanne. And they were there for about 10 days of discussion, fellowship, worship, and prayer. And one of the, the major undertakings of that, what, what became known as the, the first uh, of the Lausanne Congresses, was the development of the Lausanne Covenant. It's, it's like a, a pretty short theological document which acts as a basis for people from all sorts of churches and all sorts of backgrounds to share together and to work together in the work of sharing the gospel with the world. So this Lausanne Covenant is, is a document that's still very influential and very important. There have been loads of small spin-off gatherings of the Lausanne movement since 1974, but there have been only two more of these uh, global congresses. The second one was in 1989 in Manila, in the Philippines, and it was the third one at Cape Town in 2010, uh, to which I was invited and had the privilege of going. 
At the first Lausanne Congress in 1974, Billy Graham coined uh, a phrase which I think sums up uh, for me and for many of us what the Lausanne movement is all about. The The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And I want to try and take a few moments this morning sharing with you how the nine days I spent in Cape Town uh, maybe helped me and and thousands of others to to recapture a little of that vision. We're going to use some slides on the screen, so I hope they'll come up here uh, as I speak. The whole world gathered, as I say, in Cape Town, at least in a a representative way. Um, So there were 4,000 delegates and they converged on a place there in Cape Town, the Cape Town International Convention Center, uh, right down in the center of the city and down near the waterfront. There were 198 countries represented. So if you see a slide here uh, with some of the folks on it, the, all the ethnicities of the world pretty much are, are gathered there. Uh, the, the worship, uh, because it was on... African soil had a very real African flavor, and it was pretty vibrant, to say the least. It, it reminded me of the General Assembly of our own Presbyterian church in Ireland. Um, just, um, it was a seamless move for an Irish Presbyterian to, to be with the guys here. There was a moving moment very early in the conference when we realized that the, the delegates from China, about 200 or so, didn't in the end make it. You may remember that I've ask you to be praying for that in the weeks running up to the, the Congress. There was, a, uh, there was a sense that they may not be allowed to make it. In the end, they weren't. Uh, they were prevented from traveling to the conference. And there was a moment where we stopped what we were doing and we prayed bet- beside the empty seats in the already uh, laid out auditorium uh, just to remember brothers and sisters who, who weren't able to be with us. So 4,000 people gathering, and you sort of think, well, goodness, you'd only ever be lost in the crowd. But the the guys who organized the conference did a fantastic job. Uh, So they really helped us to connect with each other. We spent each morning in a table group. Um, So this, rather than us sitting in rows, 4,000 of us all facing in one direction, we sat around tables. So it was a bit like a, a massive wedding reception is probably the best way I can describe it. Um, 4,000 divided by 6, that number of tables. It was a pretty big sort of area. Um, I thought I'd show you quickly my table group, just to give you an idea of the diversity. It's not a great slide. Oh, my goodness. Um, Let me tell you, there are six people at my table. Um, If I start um, with the, the gentleman in the stripy shirt, that is Clarence from Tulsa in Oklahoma. He is part of the staff of quite a large church there. And he told us a lot about the, the racial conflict in their city. It's the most conflicted city in North America, um, the, the white and black issue. Behind him is John from Aruba. I wasn't sure where Aruba was, but then I remembered the Beach Boys song of the late 1980s, which talked about Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take you. Uh, but I'll, I'll stop there. Um, so... John is a businessman, not a mission guy or a church leader, just a businessman who's keen to share Christ with people on the island. In behind, almost invisible to you, is Wolfgang from Austria. He was the leader of our, uh, our small table group. He works with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he, he shared a little bit about the work that they do the world over. 
again, almost invisible, if you go around the table, is Luciana. She's a young woman from Albania. I remember when I realized that there was a girl from Albania there, that that was just amazing. Because I grew up in a time when Albania had the reputation for being the most closed country in the world. Um, Statistically, people were saying that there may not be any uh, Christians. Uh, There was certainly no, no factual basis to believe that there were Christians in Albania. Luciana herself was there, and she was able to tell us about a thriving church in Albania. And just a wonderful story. And then the last gentleman on my uh, left-hand side as we sit um, is Alberto from Mozambique. Alberto runs a wee Bible college in Mozambique. And although he made the shortest journey to come to the conference, it took him three days because he came down on the bus all the way from Mozambique. I just want to tell you something for your encouragement. As well as helping me to go to the conference, our congregation here at Kirkpatrick Memorial paid a full scholarship for another person to attend. Um, There was no no mechanism to tell us who our our scholarship uh, had been applied to. Uh, So there's no person that we can say that we sent. But I was quite conscious as I sat day by day with Alberto that he didn't seem to be a very resourceful person when he talked about coming down on the bus and taking three days And I was quite encouraged that our church had enabled somebody, maybe somebody like Alberto, to to come from a part of the world where the church is is very much less resourced than it is here and to be present. So, again, thank you for for allowing us to do that. So I've tried to talk there for a few moments about how the whole church had gathered, how how diverse it was, how how big it was, and, and so on. The whole church gathered because we were to encourage each other to share the whole gospel. So each morning in our program, we spent time reminding ourselves of, of what the gospel is. Um, so the emphasis on, on the content, the gospel content, was seen in our daily program. At 8.45 each morning, we began with a, a Bible celebration, celebration of the Bible, and with some of the world's most gifted Bible teachers there teaching their way through Ephesians. So we had Ajit Fernando, He's the head of Youth for Christ in Sri Lanka. We had Ruth Padilla de Borst. She's from Costa Rica and a member of the Lausanne Theology Working Group. Gave a brilliant sermon or talk on Ephesians 2. Uh, We have John Piper, um, who some of you will know and maybe have read, an American pastor and writer. The way it worked, these guys presented from the front, but because we were sitting in our table groups, we were very easily able to go from small group discussion back to, to a plenary whole group experience and back and forward. It was a, it was a brilliant uh, learning uh, and participating way to, to study the Bible together. That session took us up until coffee time each day. There was a second session each morning where we, we looked at a different gospel issue. Um, so, for example, on the first day, the truth of Christ, the peace of Christ on the second day, how he brings reconciliation to a broken world, the love of Christ, the will of Christ, the church of Christ, and the body of Christ. The way that session worked was we had, again, presenters presenting quite short uh, papers to us. Uh, So I'll give you an example. On the first day, it was the truth of Christ in a pluralistic, globalized world. Quite wordy titles in some cases, but, but some very important things to think about. 
So the first day we had three guys uh, sharing with us, Carver Hugh, Michael Herbst, and Oz Guinness. I think there's a slide of Oz Guinness. He, he's well known, uh, and maybe some of you have had a chance to read his stuff. I was very struck that first day by the presentation of a guy called Michael Herbst from East Germany, talking about how you share the gospel of Christ in a former communist state. And he said it was extremely difficult. He said that the people there are twice inoculated against the gospel. He said, first of all, they grew up under a regime historically which told them there is no God. And if if, if that's all you've ever known, then it's quite a leap to begin to think about, about God and the place that he might have in your life. So they they believe there is no God, but then they also, these people, lived through the collapse of the regime that told them there is no God. Now, you might think that that would make them open to start to explore spiritual things. Apparently, that's not really what's happened. Instead, what's happened is the regime that presented its truth to them, as it collapsed, they no longer believe in any truth. They don't trust anybody who teaches anything or shares anything with them. They've become deeply skeptical. So they don't believe that there is a God, and they don't believe that there is a a truth that that they can live by. So he explained all of this and then talked about, well, how do you share Christ in a situation like that? And and it it was a simple but a profound answer that he gave. He pointed to Jesus He talked about the incarnation, how Jesus came and he lived among the people, how he shared life with them and shared his message with them as he rubbed shoulders, not from a distance. And then Michael Herbst gave an example of a few young people who'd gone to live on an island, which Claire and I know a little bit about, um, an island of Rugen in the North Sea, uh, a place where there's no uh, living Christian witness And they went to live there simply so that they could live among the people, begin to share life with them, and to talk to them about Jesus. Not an institutional church, but a whole new way of sharing faith. I mentioned earlier the important document that came out of the first Lausanne Congress, the Lausanne Covenant of 1974. The Manila Congress also produced a a document, the Manila Manifesto, and a little bit later, after this Congress is finished, there'll be a final version of a a theological document come out of that called the Cape Town Commitment. It'll be published early next year. So that, that work is ongoing. We've thought so far about the whole church gathering, reminding ourselves and learning about the, the whole gospel. But our focus didn't finish there. It it couldn't finish there because the whole purpose is to learn to share with the whole world. So the rest of our daily program helped us to think about how how this could be done. How how are we going to take this message to the whole world? It was was lovely to, to tap into the jargon of the Congress as it went on. So the first session in the afternoon was called a multiplex I mean, it sounds like somewhere you should be going to watch a movie, uh, a matinee in the afternoon, but it was, it was just a seminar. Um, now, there weren't, there weren't bog-standard uh, small group seminars because there were only four multiplexes that ran during the afternoon. So four into 4,000 
means it's still not a, a small, intimate gathering by any means. I attended uh, some on subjects like a fresh approach to witness in the 21st century with Rebecca Manley Pippert, and then one that I enjoyed very much, Embracing God's Global Urban Mission by Tim Keller. Some of you may have heard of Tim Keller or read some of his books. He's helping evangelicals very much to think about how to share Christ in, in Western urban contexts. That took us to the coffee break each day, and then in the afternoon we went to the only part of the whole time that felt like it it was sometimes a smaller group, and that was the dialogue sessions. There were usually about 30 of these on offer, any subject under the sun, quite literally. Um, Just so many great teachers there to, to help us think about lots of different things. I went to lots of these, but among others I went to one called Evangelism Everyone Enjoys, especially the non Christian. Um, that was about sharing the, the gospel more through stories um, and sharing Bible stories, uh, uh, relating those to, to people. I had a great experience one afternoon. I went to one called Paul and the Community of the First Century. Um, I had an idea of what I was expecting, and I showed up in the room, and it was nothing like what I was expecting, neither the topic nor the actual experience. The guy who was leading it was called Yusuf Nathan. He didn't seem to have any English at all. He was an Egyptian. Um, they started the, the seminar by asking around if anybody could translate. Um, I, I was quite nervous at this point because I looked around and I realized that everybody else in the room seemed to be Egyptian. There were about 30 of us. Um, and I thought, goodness, if they don't find a... a, a they found one, one guy who was able to translate and this guy gave just a, an amazing presentation. He talked about how Paul, he, what he did was he started by showing six quotations of well-known poets from Greek and Roman culture, and he showed us where they cropped up in Paul's teaching in his letters or in his recorded sermons and acts. And he was basically making the point that when Paul preached, he used the culture of the day he, he used the, the media of the day to, as a starting point to share Christ with people. He, he then made the argument that Jesus also did the same. His style of preaching was very different because he was preaching to rural Galileans. And the challenge he left us with was understanding our culture well enough to use its starting points to, to share Christ with people. I, I found it just a, a, a wonderful and challenging session. Every evening we gathered together, again, the 4,000 of us in a big group at this stage, and we, we focused on one region of the world. So you got to hear, you know, what's happening in Africa these days? Or what's happening in Asia, or, or so on. We also thought about global issues facing the church, uh, HIV AIDS, human trafficking, the, the suffering church. One of my memories that I've taken home with me was to hear the story of an 18-year-old Asian woman. She told of how she and her family had been forced to leave the country in which she had grown up. Her father was eventually arrested. Uh, By now, he's presumed dead. She hasn't heard of him uh, for many years. And this young girl is studying hard so that she can train to be a diplomat so that she could go back 
to that country with its still oppressive regime to reach the people there for Jesus Christ. And I was just struck by the the kind of dangers that she is likely to face if she does so. Uh, There's a lot more that I could share this morning, but I I feel like I'm coming towards the end of the, the time that I have available to me. I wanted to share with you some of my lasting impressions of being at this, this unique gathering. I, I was just struck again by how great God is and how big his family is. When you're with 198 different nations, it, it felt like a United Nations of God's people. It, 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 it really just it took away the, the colloquialism that I often live with, this imagining that that this is here where I live is where it's all at. Although the world looked huge and, and in some ways overwhelming, I was also surprised at how small the world was at times in this conference and during this time away. I met a few very interesting people. Um, there's a slide here um, of Eva from Marburg in Germany. Now, I just sat at a table and was talking to, to a bunch of people. We were discussing things in one of our multiplexes. And I got chatting to Eva, and she said, you're from Belfast? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, I think I know a member of your church. Um, so we have Margareta Wiley, uh, a member of our church. I'm not sure if Margareta is here today. She, she's often here with us on a Sunday morning. She is from Marburg in Germany. Eva lives next door to Margareta's mum, knows her well and has chatted to Margareta about uh, being at this conference, and that was good fun. One day I was queuing for my tea. Um, by the way, queuing for tea, 4,200 people. You know, I never queued for more than 30 seconds. It was amazing the, the way they ran this thing. But, but I was queuing for tea one day and was in conversation with the person beside me in the queue, and I'll just show their slide. This is Pippa. Now, I don't know Pippa at all, but as we got talking, I quickly worked out that she had worked with Pam from church here in the Navigators. So she asked me to pass on my love to Pam, and I I thought I'd share that with you. We got a day off in the middle of our our conference, and even on the day off, I was still bumping into people that I knew. So we'd gone down to the Cape of Good Hope, and I'll show you the next photograph. Mark and Julie, I married Mark and Julie here on the 1st of October, and they told me they were going on their uh, honeymoon to South Africa. And then there we were, down at the Cape of Good Hope, and guess who shows up but Mark and Julie. I I don't like to think of that as coincidence. That's just taking pastoral care to the next level. Um, Anybody getting married here anytime soon, um, when you're booking your honeymoon, book a third seat on the the flight. God is great, his family is big, and and yet it's small. You know, I could tell you of lots of other people I bumped into, conversations, uh, just a a wonderful experience. The second thing that that will really stick with me, and this this was humbling, I must say. It was something that I think I knew in my head, but I saw it lived out at, at this conference in a way that I'd never seen before. And that is that we... In, in Northern Ireland, in Britain, in Europe, we are no longer the, the center of the world church. We haven't been, I guess, for a long time. 
but in our minds we still think we are. If I show a world map, if, if you split that map just into four quarters, dropping a line across it and a line from top to bottom in the middle, the way world evangelism worked and the flow of Christian missions, it mostly flowed out of the top left quadrant, the northwest of the world, North America, Britain, and Europe sent the gospel into the world. That's traditionally and historically been the pattern. I'm generalizing, but, but I think it holds true. It would be a massive mistake on our part to imagine that that's how the world works today. A massive mistake. Because the reality is the Christian church is now much stronger in South America, in Africa, and in Asia than it is in Europe, in North America, and in the United Kingdom. I find that a very sobering thing. I hope it'll help me to be a little bit more clued in when I think about world mission in the future. It doesn't mean that we aren't to be sending people in world mission. That would be a wrong uh, conclusion to come to. I think what it means is that rather than thinking of the flow in one direction and one direction only, it's not us sending people to them. It's now all people are in Christ looking for the connections, the opportunities to share Christ whatever way they can. Folks, there are, are loads of Christian people coming into our, our island and into our city. I, I'm just hearing these days about a, a huge African church that's likely to maybe rent the building at First Valley McCarrot, which I mentioned here in a church service just a few weeks ago, a large Presbyterian church going vacant down in Lower East Belfast, likely to be accommodating a huge African church uh, sometime in the near future. The world's changing, and, and I'm trying to, to catch up, uh, if I'm honest. I suppose the last thing, the last impression that I, I wanted to to carry with me and maybe share with you. This bringing the world, the gospel to the world, can be a very costly work. At the Congress, in one of our plenary sessions, we heard the testimony of Libby Little. Um, Libby's the wife of Tom Little, one of ten medical missionaries who was murdered by the Taliban in Afghanistan. They had gone into a very remote and dangerous part of the country, a place where they had no communication. And when they, on the day when Libby was expecting to hear back from Tom, to hear the message that he had safely returned, there was, there was radio silence. She didn't get that message. And soon they, they discovered why that was. Libby shared with us and she used blood-stained notes of a talk that they had found on Tom's body when they recovered it. In this talk, he had talked about how, how Christian people are to be the aroma of Christ. They're to remind the world of him. They're to speak of him and, and draw people to him. And she said that while hers and Tom's work had been cut short, she hoped that there'd be a, a memorable aroma of Christ among the people of Afghanistan. I was really struck by the, the reality 
that, that the power of the gospel we proclaim is multiplied many, many times when we actually live it out and when it costs us something, and in this case, even, even cost our life. Libby's story was powerful, but it was all the more powerful when, when we realized that it was a story from August of this year. This wasn't an old story. Folks, if it rings somewhat familiar to you, it's because it's, a, it's actually a story that we know. It was played out uh, quite heavily in our media over the summertime. The reason for that is that one of the ten medical missionaries who died is Karen Wu. Uh, that name might ring a bell for you. Karen Wu was a, a 36-year-old from London. Now, I've never met Tom Little or Karen Wu, and I'm guessing that, that many, most of us haven't. But things came a little bit closer to home to me in the last few days as I was researching this to share it better with you this morning. I went on a website and I came across a photograph of the 10 people who had been killed by the Taliban in August of this year in Afghanistan. And I recognized one of them. Claire and I met Cheryl Beckett uh, during our time on sabbatical in Schloss Mittersill in August of 2008. Our paths crossed with hers just for, just for a few days while she came and stayed uh, as part of our time in the castle there. Uh, Claire took her for a run one day um, in the car over to Kitzbühel, to, went with the kids to the play park and to some shops. Uh, she gave us a bottle of wine to bring home to Graham Connor. Some of you will know Graham Connor, uh, the former minister of Bloomfield Presbyterian just down the road. He, he left some years ago to go to Kabul to be a pastor of an international church there. And for some time, he was Cheryl's pastor. I have a card here uh, which Cheryl sent to our family. Dear Claire and family, what an, expect, what an unexpected gift to meet and spend some time with you here at the Schloss. Praying that your remaining time here will be restful, filling, and life-giving to you all. Please give a big hug and lots of love to Graham and Pat Connor when you next see them. Hope our paths cross again someday. Love, Cheryl. Our paths will cross again someday, but not, not in this life. Cheryl Beckett, Tom Little, Karen Wu, they gave their lives this year in Afghanistan because of their commitment to see the whole gospel go to the whole world. Folks, what did I learn in Lausanne? That's a question people are asking me. I think I learned lots of information and some new perspectives, certainly more than I could share in a 25-minute presentation. The theme of the Congress is, was in that passage that Cheryl read for us this morning. All this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Folks, my lasting memory of Lausanne probably won't be uh, some new bit of information or some new idea of how to do ministry. I hope it'll be a learning of the heart. It'll be a call to, to stop mucking about, to not settle for running a church, because maybe that looks like what my job description is. But it's to recommit myself to live out my calling. That's to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. To, to share him with people where I meet them. And wherever God gives me opportunity. Folks, this, this few days I spent in October of 2010 in Cape Town. They have passed. And and those very vivid memories will probably soon fade. I I understand that. But I hope that I've been inspired once more, re-inspired, both for myself and for you, the community that I lead, to rediscover this calling, to bring Jesus Christ to the world, to be part of the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Let's pray together.